Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Thanks for being with me today. I've got a great guest. I've got Dr. Green. She is a lifestyle psychiatrist based in Southern California, and she's a fifth-generation Californian. She's also the author of Heal Your Daughter, How Lifestyle Psychiatry Can Save Her from Depression, Cutting, and Suicidal Thoughts, and the Heal Your Daughter Workbook, Six Weeks to Feeling Good with Lifestyle Psychiatry. Dr. Green works part-time at the Loma Linda University School of Medicine and part-time in her own private practice based in the greater Los Angeles area. She holds degrees from Harvard, Princeton, and Stanford University School of Medicine. She's a board certified in psychiatry, child and adolescent psychiatry, and lifestyle medicine. Her passion is inspiring others to achieve vibrant physical and mental health. Dr. Green, thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, well, thank you, Lee. Thank you for the nice intro, too. Thank you. Well, it's so interesting to me because I think that we come at things very much from the same page. When I think about mental health and at the Brain Performance Center, we work with the brain, but the body keeps score of everything that's going on in the brain. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, You know, emotions are this strange no man's land between (laughs) thoughts and the body, you know, thoughts and emotions in the body, emotions are kind of like half cognitive and half very physical. So, yes, I agree. Uh, what you think in your mind impacts not just the brain, but also everything else in that body, you know, feelings, sensations, everything. Well, it's, it's not unusual if you're experiencing anxiety. You've either got something going on in your gut or you've got tightness in your chest, and if you've got depression going on, most likely you've got some fatigue and exhaustion. So the link is is really there, and, and I think that now there's such a crisis in the mental health of high school students. I mean, even middle school students. But when you yes. look at, when you look at the statistics, it's frightening. Yes. It, it truly is frightening. <laughs> CDC just replaced, uh, just uh, came out with a report on that note called the YRBS, the Youth Behavior Risk Survey, which has an innocuous title, but in it are the most horrifying and scary statistics you could ever imagine. It's It showed that 57%, 57%, so nearly two-thirds of high school girls were persistently depressed or hopeless within the last year, just within the last year alone, this was 2011 to 2021, 30% had suicidal thoughts, 30%. That's, you know, nearly a third of high school girls had suicidal thoughts. A quarter had suicidal thoughts with a plan. Now that is the criterion we use to admit someone to the inpatient unit. And then 13% of high school girls actually attempted suicide within the past 12 months. So it's really staggering. You know, when CDC came out with that, we were all aghast. But, you know, it is completely consistent with what we're seeing. I often have, you know, 12 high school girls lined up in the emergency room overnight waiting for an inpatient bed. 
I'm not kidding. It's really, we don't have enough hospital beds. We don't have enough psychiatrists. Honestly, we could easily, we have about 7,000 child and adolescent psychiatrists. We could easily, we would do well with 40,000, you know, (laughs) five times that amount would begin to cover it. Well, it's pretty scary because, you know, when you look at the statistics before the pandemic, one out of four suffered from depression, anxiety, or a substance abuse problem. And I know in the first year of the pandemic, depression went up 25%. So I think that what we're seeing is it's not going to go away. If anything, it's going to become more pronounced. You mentioned we don't have the medical care that we need to be able to accommodate and react to everything. So in this situation, then we have to really stop and think about how do we become our own patient advocate? What can we do to take help take care of ourselves and our family? Absolutely, because all the, although the pandemic came and went, it's as if our high school kids, it's as if their brains and psyches were reset at a lower level. They, I've not seen them coming out of that. For 2023, I'm still seeing just as much of that. And so, yes, we need to do something. We collectively as a society need to do something. And parents, of course, are the first line. You know, they can obviously step up. Uh, The question I get most often, though, parents say, yes, I want to help. I want to help. What can I do? Uh, They actually literally don't know what to do that will help. So, you know, that is in the home context. Obviously, parents know how to haul their kids to the emergency room. They know how to schlep their child to a psychiatrist and back. But what they don't know is simple things they can do at home, within the home ecosystem, I'd call it, to to make their kids feel better, to address the root causes of what's happening in the first place. Well, and I see that at my clinic as well, the Brain Performance Center. And sometimes, you know, I'll make suggestions. I can give you some suggestions on what you could do. And sometimes it's as simple as, do you check in with your kid every day in a very casual way? How was your day? What what did you learn today? You know, what did you, did anything worry you today? Just some open up those conversation gates. Yes, yes. Actually, that is a whole main domain or pillar of lifestyle psychiatry, the emotional connectedness. Often, you know, I think one of the biggest hits the pandemic took on our kids is that they it, that it isolated them socially and kind of like the, the normal social relationships they used to have got displaced by social media, which some are calling the anti-social media. Um, And, you know, they're still addicted in that mode. Uh, The kids I see are seeing their friends in real life less and less, and they're more and more dependent on the social media. So anything a parent can do to be there for your kid, to be a real living, breathing human being, (laughs) checking in with your kid, making sure they're okay, all the better. Well, you know, and I saw a study that where a, a lot of kids don't want to talk on a phone anymore. They just want to text. They're not comfortable having a conversation on a phone. They're afraid of the phone. And to me, 
that's that's a red flag. How are you going to how are you going to interview for a job? How are you going to have a deep relationship with somebody? You can't just text them. Right, right. And you can't just be on Zoom with the camera off, (laughs) you know, which is how they went through school uh, during the pandemic. Um, Yes, you do need to learn these basic skills of of social interaction and so that you're comfortable with them so that you can actually meet the needs that you have. You know, we are such a social species, as you know, Lee, you know, we evolved in little clans and tribes and little, you know, groups of people. If we were exiled or banished from the tribe, what that meant was death evolutionarily. And now, you know, kids are, are experiencing that on a day-to-day basis. You know, all of a sudden they make one little slip up in the text message and they're, you know, discarded by all of their friends. They're basically exiled and banished from their social circle. Uh, if they make a mistake, the stakes are so high now to keep connected. And what connection that does exist seems to be, yes, you're right, by a text. Uh, so, yes, so the, there is an antidote for this. I don't want to be negative because what I try to inspire parents to do is to go positive go big in the positive direction. You know, you can connect your kids with others, even if they're somewhat isolative. Uh, you can figure out what are their values? You know, what, what kinds of things do they love? And you can connect them to like-minded kids. Suppose they love art. Well, you can connect them to people. Suppose they're more like the Girl Scout or the Boy Scout type, or suppose they're extremely spiritual. You can obviously check them in with their spiritual community and get them connected to real living, breathing people. Well, and I think you make such an important point because sometimes we, we went to school, we got disconnected. And when I say we, I don't just mean the kids. We went to work over zoom and we got disconnected and we forgot, we've kind of forgotten how to just play nice and make effort and, not necessarily everybody wants to relearn that. You know, when I talked about emotional connectivity, you said, well, that's one of the domains of lifestyle psychiatry. Are there others? Oh, yes, absolutely. There are six major domains. Now, by domain of lifestyle psychiatry, what is referred to is a big major area of research. So lifestyle psychiatry and lifestyle medicine both are evidence-based and they are basically uh, asking the question, what are the techniques that we can uh, find, you know, find in the evidence that actually work to create health, that work to create mental health? So the six domains are actually nutrition, which we know can create health or disease. We know that even in, in the veterinary world, we know that, let alone in the human world. We know that, for example, a deficiency in any one of the B vitamins can cause psychosis, let alone depression and anxiety. So nutrition is important. Detox is important. We know things like cannabis wax pen can cause psychosis, can cause depression. I see this on the inpatient unit all the time. As many as half of my patients on the inpatient unit have been psychotic because of wax pen use, cannabis wax pen as many as have, and they have no family history, 
and they they're you know there's no other obvious reason for them to be psychotic besides the obvious and they often know they often realize that oh yes this stuff makes me paranoid so nutrition and detox crucial but also exercise which most kids i've got to lay a hand you know you know, applaud the schools for keeping that on the page. Exercise, you know, basically an hour a day, five days a week for kids is optimal. Sleep, sleep hygiene is on the page with lifestyle medicine. And of course, of those sleep recommendations, we know that getting sunlight, 20 to 30 minutes a day of sunlight is the most critical of them, as well as avoiding blue light at night. Then emotional connectedness, as you already highlighted, and stress reduction, or what I like to call the art of relaxation, because all kids today are so stressed out. They are under layers and layers of stress. It's often so stressed out, they can't even begin to to speak to it. Um, And so, you know, we've labeled this whole generation, oh, they're kind of like snowflakes. Well, (laughs) put any one of us under that extreme level of stress, and, you know, our, our generation would probably collapse too. So I think, you know, daily stress reduction techniques and keeping in touch with those, that's also very important. So when you say stress reduction, I mean, I think of things, I'm a very simple practitioner. Learn how to breathe. Focus on your breathing. Learn how to take those deep breaths. Because if you can change your heart breath rate, you can change your heart rate and you can calm that anxiety down. But it's one of the the things that I have a hard time getting people to practice. It's so basic, but it's getting them to practice their breathing is difficult. And then something happens and they'll try they'll try to start using it. And they're like, it's not working. It's not working. And my response is, well, it's not something you just pull out of your pocket. You know, it's a skill. You've got to develop it. What other techniques do you recommend? Well, you know, you've just said it. The breathing is so critical. That's probably the number one. But, you know, preliminary to that, some kids can't. They're, they're in the shallow breathing mode. They're freaked out because they're completely out of body. They're, they're freaked out. They're literally not even occupying the space between their ears or the space from their, between the top of their head and their feet. They're just not there. They're so out of body, so dissociated. And so the first thing I like to teach, even before breathing, is grounding, simple grounding techniques, you know, simple grounding techniques, such as imagine you're a tree, your tree has roots deep into the ground, feel your roots going deep into the ground and feel connected to the earth. And it's amazing, you know, open up that connection with the earth. Let all the stress you're experiencing, all the dissociation, everything, go right down into the earth where it can be recycled into something else. So I like to start with that basic grounding. And then you can notice your breath. You can start to breathe because honestly, the most effective stress reduction techniques are all based in some form of meditation. It doesn't have to be just sitting there. I know kids don't like to sit there. They like to move. But moving meditations can be very powerful as well. Activity meditations where you're doing something very mindfully, even washing the dishes or organizing your, your desk. I mean, there, there are as many different meditation practices as there are, you know, 
favorite hobbies of giving kids. Uh, it's really infinite. And so I work with kids to figure out what will relax that kid, you know, and go through a number of options and then, you know, settle on one and just use that until they can learn how to calm themselves. So, and I understand what you're saying, that different things work for different people. There's no doubt about that. And some people love to journal. Some people, when you say the word journal, look at you like you're speaking a foreign language. Yeah, some people have trouble writing. So, you know, that's not going to be their go-to. Yes. Mm -hmm. But when we think about our, our listeners and what we want their takeaways to be, because I know that I'll have people come in and, and they'll talk about, well, you know, I've got these I'm neurochemical. I have a chemical imbalance. Um, and, and I I look at the brain waves. I look at the electrical activity and I can see dysregulation. But what it all boils down to is, yes, there is dysregulation and there'll always be some kind of dysregulation in our life. But is there one thing that really is the underlying principle that will help you to get where you need to be, to get that physical and that mental balance? I, I would think the most important of all the domains is the one you highlighted, the connectedness. But I can do a brief blazing through all six. I think that would be a good takeaway for your listeners. For the nutrition piece, you have to realize when you look at estimated daily requirements, we are all deficient. We are not getting the basic nutrients we need. But when we shift to the whole food, plant-based diet, that is lots of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, lots of legumes, lentils, beans, peas, raw nuts and seeds. When we have that kind of diet, the whole food plant-based diet with 90% plants, only about 10% animal-based, when it's unprocessed, not out of a can, not out of a box, not deep frozen, but actually fresh, that's the optimal way to heal our bodies and then to use, you know, supplements. You know, some people can use a high-grade supplement. Um, I always recommend certain ones. Certain ones are toxic. Certain ones are good. Uh, uh, so nutrition is really key. And I go through all of that in the book, Heal Your Daughter, like what to do with the, with the, with the nutrition piece. Then detox, which means not only avoiding drugs that are harmful, you know, smoking, drinking, cannabis wax pen, cannabis edibles are the worst. Not only avoiding toxic meds, but also unnecessary pharmaceutical medications. Also, avoiding toxins in your home. Are you sleeping with your head next to, you know, the bathroom where under the sink there are all these cleaning chemicals? Or near the laundry room where there are all these cleaning chemicals outgassing right into your lungs and part of that goes directly into your brain? Um, So detox, not only from illicits, but from unnecessary pharmaceuticals, from common toxins in your home, get the air quality better in your house. You can do that with plants. A lot of ways I suggest in the book, Heal Your Daughter. And then exercise for teens. It's 60 minutes, five days a week is the best or any way you can get that 300 minutes in each week. Half of it has to be pretty vigorous. 
that's really helpful. Part of it is the good brain chemicals that that exercise will will trigger to be released. We know that all kinds of natural chemicals are released in your body when you exercise, and you need those to be happy. So exercise, sleep, you need at least nine hours. Being up all night on your phone is the fastest way to fragment your personality, your academics, your friendships, and you'll feel crummy. So trying to get that nine hours in with sleep hygiene, good sleep hygiene practices, which you can readily find online or in the book. Uh, Then emotional connectedness, which starts in the home with somebody helping you to know yourself, to know yourself. Emotional connectedness starts with connecting with yourself first. And um, that is really critical to know yourself, to know what you like and dislike to know the people who make you happy and unhappy, to make to know the values that you cherish. If you're a spiritual person, you're not going to do well uh, having a circle of friends who are all atheists, you know, for example. Uh, and then stress reduction, which we already mentioned. Um, having a daily practice, at least once a day, preferably right before bed, where you can just ground and breathe and relax and sink into yourself. And feel okay and right with yourself and the world. And if you believe in one, God. And, you know, those are the secret tools. Those, one of the six will probably address the root cause of what's ailing your teen. But all six of them together are the most potent medicine. More potent, I feel, than any SSRI type antidepressant medication I've ever tried on my patients. Well, and I think that you you did such a beautiful job of simplifying them. They're they're not so complex or not so hard to do. It's just that you have to put that into your daily schedule, and you've got to get your head wrapped around the fact that there are things that you need to do to take care of yourself. And I think that parents, we've all, as a parent, that's the hardest job I've ever done. And I certainly everything I did, I did with the intent of helping my child. But looking back, mm, didn't always work that way. And mm-hmm. and I'm sure that I'm sure that many parents can can say that. But when I neither one of my kids went through depression or anxiety, and you know they situational, of course but not for long periods of time. And I didn't see anything like cutting or I didn't see any real severe, but, but I've oftentimes I said, well, did I miss something? So what would be some huge red flags for parents? Oh yeah. Well, first I wanted to speak to what you said, you know, about lifestyle change generally, Lee, you know, it is hard to get somebody to do it, but parents, can do it for their kids. They can. They set the whole environment. They set the whole ecosystem. So parents can do it. They can enforce these things. The only food in the fridge can be good, (laughs) you know. Uh, So parents can do that. Parents can make the bond with their kids. Um, But what you just said, what are some red flags? That's such a crucial question, Lee, because, you know, there's teen behavior and it is different. You know, all teens behave differently from the way they did when they were, you know, in elementary school, say, um, you know, teens are more, you know, reaching out to their peers rather than parents. They might view you as uncool. 
Um, they might isolate in their rooms a little bit more. That's normal. All of that's normal. They are trying to form their own identities. They might say no more, and that's also normal. What isn't normal, though? Oh, what isn't normal is the cutting. The cutting we know actually increases the odds of a child dying by suicide tenfold. It's a rehearsal of the brain. You've got to stop that cutting. You've got to get some other better coping mechanisms in there for your kid. So cutting is number one, big red flag. Uh, number two would be like not coming out of complete isolation. The duvet over the head sign, like not getting out of that bed, not getting out of that room at all. You know they must be terribly depressed. Um, anything to alert their friend, like texting their friends about suicidal thoughts, take those very seriously. It is not necessarily just a performance or a way of fitting in. In my clinical practice, most of the time, those are genuine texts. They are genuine suicidal texts. Pay attention to those. Get your kid to help. Um, and then, of course, you know, you can look at their computer. Are they looking up Is in the history on their computer, in the history there? Have they been looking up ways to commit suicide? Those are like absolute red flags. Also, any academic failure, you know, lighter things like that, any academic failure, any sign that they could be using drugs, any theft of a $20 bill, which they can use to buy a wax pen cartridge, you know, things like that are real red flags, um, money going missing, any altered behavior, any of the, the ones I just mentioned. Well, and those those are good things to be on the lookout for. That's for sure. So, you know, parents have their role, but we also, as as teenagers, have our own. And how how young do you think someone can be before they can start being their their own advocate for their health? Well, gosh, that is an interesting question. I don't think it's more age. I don't think it's a matter of age. I think it's a matter of how much do they know. For example, um, the workbook is 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 geared. The, the the main book, Heal Your Daughter, is geared for parents. It's for parents to know and to set the stage for their kids to be healthy physically and mentally. But the workbook is something to work with your kid if they just knew the information that's in there, the how-to of it. And the basic facts that you can kind of translate to them from the book, they would probably be watchdogs of their own health, even at a very young age. You know, a bright 10-year-old, if they just know what's healthy for them, can steer a path through the junk food at school. You know, they can steer a path through the horrific influences on social media if they just know. Uh, so, you know. 10, 12, if they know, but if, if they don't know, you know, a 30 year old isn't going to know how to, with no information, there is no age at which um, someone's going to be a good shepherd of his or her own health. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, our self-awareness, it, it depends. I know, I know people that are 45 that have less self-awareness than some 16 year olds I know. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been so impressed with some of the girls who come in to my clinic. I had a 15 year old, you know, totally into the whole food plant based diet. <laughs> she went totally vegan, but she was supplementing with B12. So she was on the on the case with that as well. Um, 
you know, you don't have to be that extreme to be healthy, but she was an extreme case and she just was radically healthy. I'm, I've been so impressed with some of the people that I see clinically for, you know, for trauma, you know, you can be the healthiest person in the world and still go through some traumatic experience for which you need help and advice and nurturance and TLC, but you can write yourself more quickly if you have uh, knowledge of the basic foundation of good mental health. And that's, there's the beauty of the internet. There is so much goodness out there, but there's also so much garbage. And when I, talk to young people and I'd say, look on the internet, go to the Mayo Health Clinic, go to Cleveland Clinic. There's good places to go. We've got about three minutes left. And for our listeners out there that want to learn more about how to connect with you or to where to buy the book, what can you tell them? Oh, well, how to connect with me. Um, You know, I do see patients throughout California through telepsychiatry. So on my website, if you want to see me personally, you can. Uh, the website is https colon forward slash forward slash CherylLGreenMD.com. So C-H-E-R-Y-L-L-G-R-E-E-N-M-D.com. That's the website. Uh, the book, uh, Heal Your Daughter, um, which is, uh, you know, and the Heal Your Daughter workbook, both of those are available just about everywhere. You can get them from Amazon. You can get them from Barnes and Noble. You can get them from, um, you know, Book Baby. You can get them from all the major bookstores. Uh, what I recommend, though, in putting in my name, because Cheryl Green is like the most common name in the world, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> I do put the L, a middle initial L in there, and I do put the end. If you Google that one, Cheryl L. Green, MD, and then put in Heal Your Daughter, then it will pop up. But otherwise, there's an ocean of Cheryl Greens out there. So you might uh, find yourself getting lost or getting the book of a different Cheryl Green. Well, I appreciate you clarifying that because I'm amazed. There, I get emails all the time. I'm finishing up my PhD, so I'm always in that academia world. Are you the Lee Richardson that wrote and this art, you know, the article on mold and fungus, I'm like, no. <laughs> so it is important. <laughs> it's very important to know what you're looking for. Dr. Green, yes. I can't thank you enough for joining us today and and really making it so much simpler than we can construct things in our head. You know, it's going to be so hard. I don't know how to do that. I don't know what to focus on. And, you know, nutrition, sleep, I mean, without that, that's your foundation. So you, you really, and you simplified the other aspects that relate to that. And I thank you very much for your time and your energy today. And I, I think that there's, we can all, adults, children, teenagers, we can all do a better job of really making good lifestyle choices. It can be as simple as how long are you on your social media account, right? Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Lee. I've so enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for your gentle questions and your kindness. Um, I really appreciate, too, your advocating the book. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. You're welcome.
behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. Thank you.